So let's uh, start by prayer. Uh, Lord, I need you. Um, I come before you, Father. Just uh, My mind's just been focused on so many different things, and uh, just pray that you will just give me focus and rest to just focus on what's important, Lord. And I pray that your words come forth. This is not about me or my performance. This is all about you and what you want to communicate to your, your body. Lord, Father, so I pray for the men. Father, I pray that we receive what you want us to have about how good you are and how much you provided for us, especially in your word. We trust you. I pray a blessing for each man who's here, who are here, Father, and I don't even know who's sick. We haven't even gone to reports. I, Father, I pray for those who are sick who couldn't make it, Lord. I pray for Patrick, who just uh, called just a little while ago. He's in pain, and pray for comfort for his pain in his foot from the surgery. It went well, but he's obviously hurting. Lord, so you're the great comforter, and I pray for healing of his body. Thank you for the work you've already done. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're going to be talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to start with the right from the beginning. So there's actually two different things in this whole chapter. It kind of focuses on two main areas. The first area is how the believer deals with his brother or sister within the body. And the second part of it is going to be with how he deals with himself, particularly in regards to sexual immorality. So the first part of the question, first verse, it says, If any of you has a grievance against another, how dare he go to law before the unrighteous instead of before the saints? How dare he? Other one says, you know, dare any of you, when you have a matter, go to the law. How, how dare you? That's not a slight. Paul's not saying to the Corinthians, ah, maybe you should consider something else. He comes out pretty boldly and says, what are you guys, nuts? Like, why would you even do this? Okay? And basically he's saying, if you have a problem with a, one of your believers, brothers, you don't go to the secular courts. Okay, you don't go to the secular courts because why? Because they will only see things from a temporal perspective. And the thing that we have to appreciate is every decision that we make has both temporal and spiritual consequences. Every single decision. Okay, so when you go to a local judge or you go to court and you get an attorney and you deal with that, they will only decide what they think they can understand from man's understanding. They will not be able to appreciate the spiritual consequences of those decisions. So let's go to the second verse because it elaborates. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels... How much more the things of this life? So, basically he's saying, look, you guys got to settle this among yourselves. You don't realize your destiny. When you're going to the world and looking for the world for the answers, you're basically saying all that's really important is the here and now. What he's saying is, we are heirs of Christ. Because of that, 
relationship we have as we're believers, we're going to have authority to judge angels. What does that mean, to judge angels? When is that going to happen? Different people have different beliefs. Some say there's a millennial kingdom and we'll be judging, we'll be ruling with Christ in the millennial kingdom and sitting there. Others say it'll be in heaven. Um, Why are we going to have the ability to judge angels? Number one, we are all made in the image of Christ, in the image of God. Every single one of us is made in God's image. Angels are not. Powerful, powerful beings, far more powerful certainly right now than we are. One angel wiping out 268,000 in one evening, okay? Powerful, powerful angels, okay? And, and we know that a third of them have fallen and followed Satan, and so they're powerful too, and they can possess and influence and be involved in, in determining the course of this world. Certainly, Lucifer is considered the prince of this world that is influencing what's happening now. That being said, we will be greater than that. We are created in God's image. We are redeemed by Christ. And we are empowered with the Holy Spirit. Those three things will give us the ability to judge angels. And what Paul's making clear should also give us the ability to judge within the brethren, to judge among brothers, to resolve issues. When they look at the word to judge, there's a word that I was researching. It's called crino, spelled K-R-I-N-O, but it's pronounced crino, which means not only to judge, but also have authority. It's the kind of judgment that you make where, like when we talk about spiritual authority within the church, within the body, that kind of judge. It's like the wise counselor who determines, who decrees what's going to happen. It's like how a king judges, how Solomon judged. Okay? And the wisdom that he asked was to judge rightly. That kind of authority to judge. That's the power that God has given us. We will be able to manifest that fully when we're in heaven, but we have that power through the Holy Spirit to use part of it now. And God's asked us to do that. Paul says that the word to do that with one another. So, so let's look at verse 4. If you need to settle everyday matters, do you appoint as judges those of no standing in the church? Goes back to the point that he mentioned earlier. You're not going to want people who are unrighteous or unjust. What they mean by unjust does not mean that they can't make right decisions. What they mean by unjust means unjustified. That means they don't have spiritual standing with God. They won't be able to see things from a spiritual perspective. In verse 5, he says, I say this to your shame. Is there really any, really no one among you wise enough to arbitrate between his brothers? If you remember back in the first chapter, 1 Corinthians verse 18 to 30, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness 
to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He goes on after that for the next um, 11 verses, talking a little bit more about how his wisdom is far greater than the wisdom of the world. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, us asking God, like it says in James, asking for wisdom, we have access to that wisdom that's supernatural. We have the ability to make those determinations within the body that can benefit and bless one another. We don't have to go to the court systems about that. Okay? This is primarily meant on a civil matter. Okay? It talks about in Romans... Okay, and you saw that in Acts where Paul even went to the Roman authorities when there's a problem. If there's a criminal matter, if there's a problem where we need to have an issue with somebody who's not a believer, we may have to use the secular court system. Okay, this is not speaking to that. This is speaking that, hey, within the body, within believers, with those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, going to the courts is a loss for both sides. Anytime we go to the courts and you sue a believer, it's a loss for both sides. Why? Because everybody else outside the church says, you guys are no different than we are. You're just into yourself. You just want what you want. You want to take care of yourself. It's my rights. Okay? And that witness is lost. We won't be able to share the goodness of God when we really are not showing the goodness of God. We're saying our focus is on the temporal and not on the eternal. So our witness is lost. So I think it's really important for us to remember that every action that we do, as again, has both temporal and spiritual. And people outside the church, they're watching. They're testing. I remember a story that Josh McDowell related when he was on a, on a bus. He... Uh, <clears throat> This was at the time when you put money into the thing and they gave you change. Now it's the exact number, but back in the day, you used to be able to put money in and the bus driver would give you change. So he um, got change from the bus driver, okay? Then he walked down to the back of the bus and looked at it and realized he got too much change. And he went back to the bus driver and says, um, I think you gave me too much change. And the guy goes, yeah, yes, I did. I wanted to know if you'd point it out or not. So it was a test. They were seeing, are you a man of integrity that you're going to do that or are you after yourself? Again, are we men of integrity or are we all focused on ourselves? Um, one of the other things um, that's interesting just to talk about this Sometimes within the, it's difficult, particularly when you have believers who are at different bodies or different congregations, where how do you resolve and which kind of authority? It's okay to consider Christian arbitration. It was actually Christians who started the arbitration process to work together to say, hey, how can we resolve believers and working thing? If it's within the body, it should be held here. If it's between both and you can work out somebody mutual to do that, that's what arbitration is. You have a third party who's not partial to one side or the other, but can work things for the glory of God because their focus, again, is on the spiritual as well as the temporal. The whole arbitration movement started by Christians down in New Mexico because they wanted to find a way to resolve issues without going to the courts. 
The other part here to realize is when he talks about the, the guy who's doing the suing, he said, why are you doing this? Why are you suing the guy? Isn't it better? Okay. Let's go to this next one. Sorry. Verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you are thoroughly defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? So as I mentioned earlier about the witness to unbelievers, he says, look, so what if you're wronged? It's okay because your focus and your priority is going to be eternal. You will be rewarded for your eternal focus. You'll be blessed. Blessed, it talks about in Matthew 5.38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. The point that he's saying is, look, don't focus on your rights. Even if you are correct, it's better to be persecuted for doing right than to be persecuted for doing wrong. God will reward you when you're unjustly accused. When you're taken advantage of, God rewards you. I know for you, that's hard for me. It's hard when I feel cheated of something for me to go, hey, it's okay. You cheated me. I'm just going to let it bygones be bygones and move on. That's not something that can come in my flesh. My flesh irks, wants vengeance, and wants to set things right. That's not the spirit of God. God, Jesus, who had the right to be able to, to set retribution against the wrong that he did that was done to him, did not respond that way. We're called to be like Jesus in that regard, not to respond that way. He also speaks then to the person who does the cheating. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong even against your own brothers. And then he goes on in verse 9 and says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who submit to or perform homosexual acts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor drunkards, nor verbal abusers, that's revilers, nor swindlers or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He's basically saying, when you've wronged your brother, you're just like them. You're an idolater. You're a viler. You're an extortioner. That when you do that, when you abuse somebody in that fashion, you're not going to be able to inherit the kingdom of God. You have to, we have to wonder, do you really have a relationship with Jesus? Now, Matthew chapter 8, um, 15 no, chapter 18 talks about how we're to go one-on-one -on -one to resolve things and then take two and then bring it before the church. You can go to those who are the elders and talk about issues. Hey, so-and-so did this with me. 
how do I resolve this? And you deal with the process inside. If somebody is unteachable, right, and they can't receive it, you do take two. If, if they still can't receive it, you present it to the whole body. If they can't, then you have to put them out of the church and treat them as if they're unbelievers. Okay? And basically you're saying this person acts in a way that does not show Christ, and you have to wonder, do they even have a relationship with him? Okay? This is really important for us to understand. Our conduct and behavior, all of it has to be in sync with Christ. Any part that's not in sync with Christ, we're called to bring it back in line with that. So we'll be talking with each other about that. That's what we do. That's why we admonish and support each other. That's why we say, hey, we have a problem. We need to deal with it. We can't just ignore it. We can't dismiss it. And we definitely cannot go outside the body to address it. Okay. Verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Other examples use the word, all things are lawful. realize that I have been reading from a different one of the translations. Give me a moment and I'm going to go to all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me but I will not be brought under the power of any or brought under the authority Okay, so we look in the next chapter when we get to verse 7. It talks about husband and wives. It talks about the wife having authority over the husband's body, the husband having authority over the wife's body. It's using the same Greek word. So basically, Paul talks about there is liberty in Christ. Okay, you can eat certain foods. You can do certain actions. You can, Sunday can be your Sabbath. It could be another day can be your Sabbath. The principle is the day of rest. Okay, we're not bound by law, but led by the Spirit. The Corinthian church, and I've had the privilege of going to Corinth, was, as I've shared before, was a through port to getting from the, okay, Aegean Sea to the Adriatic Sea. So tons of travelers, big tourists, a lot of economy, but there was a major temple of Aphrodite and temple prostitutes would come down. And they thought, hey, this is what everybody's doing. It's permissible. We're covered by grace. It's okay for me to avail myself of the temple prostitutes. We're thinking, no, that's nuts. We wouldn't do that. We know that that's not right. But what he's talking about, again, is not everything that we do just because we can, should we? What are the things that we have to look at? One, does it benefit us? 
which is secondary to the most important thing, which is, does it glorify God? So you have to look at, they, that's what they did. They were looking at, hey, this is good for me, okay? In the next verse, it talks about food. Foods are for the stomach and the stomach for foods. And then God will destroy them both to them. And so he basically says, I don't eat to live. I live to eat. I'm a foodie. I get to have, I like to have things. So it's okay to do that. If I can eat food what I want, can I just have sex how I want? And he's saying, by no means. What we decide to do with our bodies, who we decide to be with, isn't our choice to make. We've surrendered that because we were bought with a price. So the principle for sexual purity among it's not just what is permitted is our guide. Okay? But that which is beneficial. So first and foremost, does it bring glory to God? Number two, when I say it's beneficial, we're talking about beneficial for us spiritually. And number three, does it benefit others around me and bring them close to Christ? So those are things that we have to decide in our actions of what we do. And the most important thing is, he talks about this, and you'll see this in the next chapter about authority. When you join with another person, when a man is with another woman, the two become one, you're now under that authority. That person now has a claim on your soul. There's something that's lost within you in that. That's why God made matrimony something holy, pure, and precious. The two become one. There's a unity there in flesh and in spirit, particularly under Christ. Okay? And when the spirit, that's why even when you have a situation where it talks about if your spouse is an unbeliever, to stay with them because there's a unity there that God wants. And as that connection, there's also a spiritual connection. You can, God can use you to redeem the person and also to give a spiritual covering for the household, for the family. So we are bought by Christ. We now say, you have authority over me. I do not belong to another. So we're called not to join with another. Definitely in deed, but also in thought. When he also talks about food, he said God will destroy it both. Basically, he's saying when we get to heaven, when we're in our glorified bodies, we won't have to worry about eating. All this will go away. It also talks about that we're not married in heaven, contrary to what Mormons believe. You don't have eternal marriages in heaven. Okay? We will be, in the sense, we'll have bodies. They'll be glorified bodies. But our desires will be radically different. They'll be like Jesus. They'll be pure, unblemished, and holy. Okay? Who is going to be our spouse? Jesus. We're his bride. We will be united with him wholly and completely. And that's the whole pattern of what he created here. The, the pattern that we have here on earth when you have a man and a woman, it's supposed to mirror 
of what it is with man with or humanity with Christ. So it's going on in that same verse in verse 13. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So that's the point that I'm talking about. Our body is bought for Christ. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? That's the part. When we do, when I mention about that soul, that spirit, that means there's a spiritual union that occurs there. And we cannot, cannot do that. Further, in verse 16, or do you not know that he is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So all our actions, that first point that I mentioned, everything that we do has not only temporal consequences, but also spiritual. Everything we do, even how we eat, even how we drive, even how we work, everything we do has that. We think it doesn't. We think there's a divorce. There's the time that I'm working and doing things, and then there's a time I'm going to church or doing my Bible reading. That's my spiritual time. That's not the walk of a believer. Our entire life, everything we do has spiritual consequences. Every moment that you do, every breath that you take has a spiritual consequence. And so the question you have to decide is, what's driving it? Is it your flesh driving it? Is it the Spirit of God driving it? And the walk of a believer, as we're more surrendered, is more of the Spirit and less of the flesh. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So verse 18, it talks about that. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have from God? So it doesn't say, hey, just take it easy. It says, flee. Those of us who've gone through pure life obviously know that. How, but even otherwise, you can see with the media, it's a very powerful seductive force. Sex is very powerful. It's, that's why they use it to sell. That's why it's used in advertising. That's why it's used in multiple things in movies to grab your attention. You may have a terrible movie, but if they have sexual scenes, especially for men, but increasingly so with women as well. It's a seductive drug that draws us away. Okay? It's a powerful seducer. Okay? And so we may think, hey, I'm good. I can watch that. I can do that. It won't affect me. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? All of that does, does draw us. I was challenged by my brothers about that. I saw, we saw an old movie. We thought it was okay. Or we're in the house so we can watch a movie that if we're with a brother, and it was a sexual movie, and I had not seen it for like 15 years. 
and watched the movie, and I realized even though there was nothing overtly sexual, there was a lot of suggestion, very sexual suggestions. Okay, And it wasn't good to watch that. It was wicked because it was... And so a lot of the stuff out there in media is very seductive that fools us. And God's calling us to flee it because we can't not be influenced by it if we're in the presence of it. We cannot resist that. Our bodies are designed to take that in because it's such a powerful thing for us. So when he talks about this, and we've used this verse many times, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I remember before I used to use that to convince people not to smoke. Okay, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is not referring to that. This is not referring to your diet. This is not referring to smoking and poor lifestyle habits. This is referring to sexual immorality. This is that when the Holy Spirit's in with you, you are holy by this power of the Spirit. And you don't want to join the holy with the unholy. For it's true, you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I mentioned that earlier. Every single one of us, when the Holy Spirit's in us, we are not our own. The challenge for all of us every day, our flesh wants us to do what our flesh wants. Every day it wants us to pursue, get things I want. I want this. I want it mine. I want money, I want security, I want power, I want fame, I want all that my eyes can see, the lust of the eyes, lust of the world, pride of life. I want all of that because it builds my flesh up. And every day, God calls us to die to our, die to that and take up the cross. It's not something you can do just once. I accepted Jesus and I'm good. It is a daily surrender. More than daily, multiple times in the day. And that's the fight that we all have. And we, what we have to realize within this is God, you know, this, what I like about how, how God knows the, what we need. If you look at the Corinthian church, it's like America. Okay? It's sex all around, the pull of the world. There's fame, fortune, greed, everything that they would all want to have, okay? And the world is very seductive, increasingly seductive. The electronic device right there is very seductive. It pulls at us. It's harder and harder to stay the course. The more we take a stand and do what's right and follow the Bible, the harder it's going to be because the world's already against it. We talked about idolaters and revilers. We talked about homosexually uses the term both the passive and the active. So the one who's on the receiving end, the one who's on the giving end of that, it identifies them as both. And there's Greek words for that. But the principle is that is something that 2,000 years ago was esteemed. 13 of the first 14 Roman emperors were homosexuals and actually um, pedophiles. They would take young boys and castrate them to make them their wives and do that. They would do that. The Greeks... Before that, who taught them were homosexual. Socrates, homosexual. Plato, homosexual. They thought the purest form of love would be the sexual love between one man to another. That was held higher than a man with a woman. Okay? Our world is right back there. That's now considered, as you can see what's happening now, 
that which we thought was aberrant, that which we thought was wrong, is now tooted as good. We are the ones who are considered wicked and evil because we're following this word, the word of God. And the challenge for us is to stay the course. Now, we're a little bit insulated. We're in this small town. We're not in the big cities. We're in a community that has the Ark Encounter, and there are a lot of Christians here, so it hasn't affected us as much. If you're big on the media, and if you start tweeting and you start getting on there, you're going to find the backlash at it. But if you're in the cities, it's huge. It's expected. It's being tolerant. It's being good. So first, we can't be critical of others of unbelievers, okay, without first ourselves, because it says that you who are drunkards, you who are revilers, you can't judge. Who are you to condemn them because of homosexuality when you're no better? You're doing what you want to do. God's calling us to holiness, to greater purity, even when it's not. And it's a challenge because the world is seductive. It's why we need brothers in Christ to help each other, to admonish, to encourage. And we just have to make some limits. Restrict. We have to set limits on ourselves. So whether it's getting, not getting all the stuff that you want to have, not having television, making some choice to say, I'm not going to partake in that. Me, I'm going to have to get rid of some more DVDs. <laughs> so there's things that I have to realize. I need to be much more rigorous about that because I haven't been. Ah, I haven't seen this. Might as well. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, come on. It's not that bad. Oh, yeah. No, it's going to get better. No, it's not better. It's worse. It's just worse. Now, the good news is we saw one, Indivisible, saw a great movie that Lauren had, and it was a wonderful, phenomenal movie. There are good stuff to, if you want to have entertainment. But the idea of the seduction of entertainment, how we all want to be entertained, even that in itself is, is a problem. It's basically saying, God, you can't keep me happy. I need the world to keep me happy. We have to watch that seduction. Okay? What do we have that can God... We're going to be in heaven with God. God's going to be everything for us. Everything that we want to have in a relationship. That's the thing with love with men. We want, I want, I want love. I want companionship. I want adventure. That's why I want somebody. That's why I choose a relationship with somebody. But God's saying that is all going to be better with him. Better with him in heaven for sure. But the thing is, God, so much of it is available right now. We have to believe. We have to trust. We see that when hearts are changed. When I see somebody coming to Christ and you see the joy when people are changed by the goodness of God, you see the taste of something that's meaningful. I get more joy now of seeing somebody come to Christ than somebody who's physically healed. I was gratified when I got to go to India when the line to go to be, have prayer was greater than the line to see me. I know I'm going because I'm just the bait. They come to see me and they have a chance to get Jesus. Far better. That's what we are. We're the bait. Okay? We're supposed to do the aroma of Christ. To go, okay, you know what? Jesus is better. Come here. The world, all of that, everything that we have in the world that we do that is just going to burn up and be ashes. It's going to blow away.
So um, I'm going to open it up to any questions. Anybody have any questions? It sounds like a woodpecker, doesn't it? Yes, Frank. Uh, 